This morning's reading is from Luke, chapter 2, starting at 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favour with God and men. Um, Well, we're taking a break in the um, current sermon series for uh, the next couple of weeks um, and looking at two areas in which we can support others in the church. Um, This week we're looking at how we can help parents and children and next week we'll be looking at how we can help those who may suffer from depression. Um, A couple of years ago as a family we went on a skiing trip for the first time in the Pyrenees um, being the cheapest place we could find. Um, it was the first time the boys had been and um, uh, they picked it up very quickly and after a few days um, I was challenging them to be the first down to the bottom of the slope as you do. I uh, gave them a bit of a head start but so they managed to um, beat me down and uh, as I came down to the bottom of the slope past the sign saying danger slow down um, I found them entangled in the net at the bottom that prevented them going into the road um, with a li- French lift assistant giving them a bit of... Um, verbal, um, and uh, I was quite tempted just to sort of uh, ski past and pretend (laughs) they had nothing to do with me, but I thought, better not, and so um, she obviously turned her attention to me and gave me some French um, uh, verbal. Um, Didn't understand all of it, but um, enough to to understand that I was an irresponsible parent. And of course she was right, because, you know, they were my responsibility. As a parent, as parents, we have primary responsibility for our children. But the question is, in a church family, is it only the parents who are responsible for for their children, or does the wider church family also have a role to play? The title of this sermon, It Takes a a Church to Raise a Child, um, was one used by by Krish in a sermon he did at Cornerstone last term. Um, And it's been borrowed from, um, I believe, an, an African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. In many parts of Africa, the community still plays um, a very important role in the the raising of a child. And whereas that may not be the case today, in the West, where communities have often uh, uh, fragmented, societies become very individualised, 
Uh, the church community does, I believe, still have an important role to play. In many ways, we know that's the case. As um, Bethlehem and Tenebu dedicated themselves this morning to bringing up Lilia and the, uh, the Christian faith, we also, as a church, promised to support them in this responsibility. And although they may be a long way away, we can still do that through, through prayer. Well, let's turn to that passage that, that Roger read for us, if we haven't um, still got it open. Um, and um, in many ways, this won't be a normal sort of expository sermon, um, because the main point of this, pro- this passage, I believe, is to show that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was different. But there are other lessons that we can learn from this passage as well. And this morning, we've got an encouragement for parents uh, and an encouragement for the whole church family. Because for all of us, the priority must be for our children, their relationship with God. And I'm sure we would all agree that, but um, sometimes I think we can demonstrate other priorities, um, often without even maybe realising it. For example, we want our children to um, have a strong faith, a strong confidence in God, um, and yet maybe by our actions we model a fear, um, an insecurity, a lack of trust in God. And so the first encouragement I'd like to give to parents is do not be anxious, but trust in God. And Mary and Joseph in this uh, uh, story realised um, that J- their son Jesus was missing. They were, like any parent would be, they were pretty distraught. And you can picture the scene, can't you, as they um, start to, to ask their friends and family, have you seen Jesus anywhere? They say, well, no, I haven't seen him since we left Jerusalem. Um, and panic starts to set in. Search becomes more frantic and they soon realise that actually he's not any longer amongst the group and they set off back to Jerusalem, desperate to find him. This week, um, you may have read how Kate McCann, the mother of Madeleine McCann, was giving evidence in a um, uh, Commons inquiry on runaway children and um, missing, missing, missing children and adults. And um, she said that despite her medical training, she simply couldn't function when her daughter, who was four at the time, went missing uh, on their holiday in Portugal. And she said it was the first time in my life when I felt out of control. Well, anxious for the safety of their son, Mary and Joseph would no doubt, as they got back to Jerusalem and found him, as it says in verse 46, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I'm sure they would have been relieved and also possibly quite proud, as it says here, that everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. But at that particular moment, that wasn't the the emotion that uh, they were experiencing. Because as his mother expresses, she says in verse 48, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Three days he's been missing. It's a very normal human reaction, you know, what a lot of parents would say after looking for their child uh, frantically for so long, the relief at finding him quickly turns to a rebuke for causing them so much anxiety. And part of that is right, you know, a child needs to realise that so they can't just disappear without telling anybody. But it also indicates that much of our emotional stress as parents is to do with our anxiety and our insecurity. Why have you treated us like this? It's about them in this case. And of course we're concerned about our children. If we weren't, we wouldn't truly love them. But as Christians, we also have a trust in God. 
And in our worry and our anxiety for our children, and let's face it, there's a lot to be worried about in today's society, we also need to be careful that we don't model to them a lack of faith in a sovereign God. Because Jesus was the best place he could have been, wasn't he? He was in his father's house, speaking to others about his father. And yes, obviously, Jesus has a different relationship with the Father. He is the Son of God, after all. And yet we also are told we've been adopted as his sons. He is our Father. Jesus, in a sense, is our our brother. And we're also told that our relationship with Jesus is um, far more important than our relationship with our natural family. If you just want to turn on a few chapters to Luke um, chapter 14... Luke chapter 14, 26, it says here, as Jesus um, was travelling with a large crowd, he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's obviously a a, a figure of speech. It's hyperbole. God doesn't want us to hate our, our family. But it shows just how much more important is the love we should have for God. And the thing is, it's up to us as parents to encourage that way of thinking with our children rather than trying to keep the love that they have for us to ourselves in a selfish way. Well, how else do we do that? Well, another way of doing that is to help them to to fear God than other people. Much of what we think is important for our children is often no different from what other parents will think is important for their children, um, whether we're Christians or not. We want them to have good education. We want them to, to grow up with good morals, good, good manners. We want them to be hard workers, um, to, to achieve, to have good friends. But actually, underneath that child rearing, there are some very different priorities at play. If you remember the, the passage that Jeff read out from Deuteronomy 6, um, the instruction that God gave his people as um, they went into the promised land. He, he said this, These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. And what that's saying is that Our children's happiness, their enjoyment of life doesn't come from worldly success, from popularity, um, doesn't come from high self-esteem. It comes from fearing God and following his instructions for living. And the trouble is that many of those instructions for living run counter to what our children will be picking up at at school. Uh, They'll run counter to the values of their friends at school. Um, And the trouble is we want them to be popular, we want them to fit in. We don't want them to be on the outside, to feel different. And so the, often the temptation is to compromise, to, um, to do what everybody else is doing. But to fear God is to have God at the centre of our lives. And for, for our children to have God at the centre of their lives is to encourage them to, to make wise decisions, to do things that they would realise would please him, not please themselves. And the way that... Um, affects family life by having him right at the centre of, of, of our lives is to um, make the church family life a priority. Um, 
is the highlight of the week when we come together with God's people and, and worship him. And so it has to take priority over everything else we do. Um, otherwise, what, are the, what is the message that we're giving to our children if we're doing other things rather than come and meet with God's people? We're saying to them that actually there are other things that are more important um, or maybe more interesting than meeting with God and his people. But it's also not just coming together with God's people on a Sunday, it's demonstrating throughout the week a dependence on God, and not just letting that faith just be another thing in our children's lives. It's saying, when good things happen to us, thank the one who allowed them to happen. Thank God for them, praise him for that. Um, it's saying, when we've got issues we're struggling with, we have got somebody we can go to. We don't have to try and work through them on our own. It's bringing them to God. Well, thirdly, we can um, demonstrate that our children's relationship with God is a priority by helping our children to follow God's calling and not our own ambitions for their lives. Many parents live out their frustrated ambitions through their children. Um, You may have read about um, Boris Becker's comments about uh, Andy Murray's mum this last week. Apparently, uh, she should be cutting the apron strings and letting him free, and if he... If she did that, he would win win, win Wimbledon. That is the solution um, to to that problem. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with um, having ambitions for our children. Um, It may be that our child is the next Wimbledon champion. It may be that um, he's a successful lawyer or doctor or businessman or whatever. But it's possible to have that as a goal in itself rather than following God's calling. It may be that God's calling is for your child to be a successful businessman or whatever. But where is the priority there? At the end of the day, do we want them to be a a successful career person but who has no faith, who's lost any faith in God? Or do we want them to be somebody who does not have in the world's eyes a particularly successful career but who's alive for Jesus Christ? If we're serious about our children using the gifts that God has given them for his service, for his ministry, then we'll be praying for that, whatever the consequences, wherever that may lead. Which means it may mean allowing your child to follow God's calling into a a dangerous or maybe a sacrificial area of ministry. Maybe on the other side of the world. Bethan is a a qualified doctor. She could have had a a high-earning job in this country. Um, And it was hard for Owen and Sally to see their daughter um, move to Senegal um, to marry a Senegalese man of whom they're very proud and to start a family in a different country. For them, they will miss her. But they realised that God was calling her to do that. And they accepted that that was God's calling. And finally, parents, do not be afraid to seek help from the church family. In this country, the church, um, the, the parents, the or the family, are very much the ones who are responsible for how they bring up their children. And on one level, that is right. Um, And when the government tries to interfere, um, they often have no rights unless the child's health or or safety is at risk. But what that also can mean is that parents can be very defensive about how they bring up their children. When we were living in Brazil, we would frequently get stopped on the street by somebody telling us that that our children didn't have socks on. Um, you, you had the right to sort of effectively stop somebody going past with a pushchair because you wanted to look into their pushchair and, and look at the, the cute child that was in there. Um, you didn't say, excuse me, I need to get past. 
Um, you took your baby to the beach and you'd be surrounded by um, often young women wanting to, to play with them. You went on a flight and the air steward would, uh, would uh, take your, your baby and walk around the, the aeroplane. They had a right to do that. And here in this country, it's very different, isn't it? You can't go near somebody else's child without somehow being uh, thought of as a paedophile or something. And if you try and give somebody some advice, back comes the reply, well, don't tell my, me how to parent my children. Now, the danger is that attitude can sometimes carry over into the church. And I think that's where, as a, a church family, we need to model an environment where, where adults do talk to children, where children do feel safe in the company of other adults, where we can help and support each other. Um, so allowing other Christians into our, our, our children's lives, um, Christian mentors, young, young work, youth workers. Um, it's not just us as parents who have a monopoly over their Christian upbringing. Well, let's come on to that role then that all of us can play in this, an encouragement for the church family. And the first point is that we all have a part to play <coughs> in the spiritual growth of our children. In this passage, the reason why um, Mary and Joseph went up to Jerusalem was because of the Passover feast. That was a time when the Jews remembered how God had exercised his judgment on the Egyptians and had passed over the Jews, those who had sacrificed the lamb and daubed the blood of the lamb on their their door frames. Uh, It was Passover that Jesus was celebrating when he met with his disciples in the the upper room. Um, It was a meal enjoyed in the the close company of of friends. Um, And it's as as family that will come around the Lord's uh, table this morning. It's a meal that we're meant to take together. And Mary and Joseph went up for this Passover feast with a large crowd of people. A crowd where obviously the children felt safe, they felt free to to wander um, in the company of different people. Um, And the the reason that um, his parents didn't realise that he was missing, as it says here in verse 44... It was because they were thinking he was in their company. And so they travelled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. They were comfortable that their children were with others in that party. And it was great at the big church day out recently that the children could go off uh, on their own um, in a safe environment. And an important part that we can all play in the raising of of our church children is to, to get to know them uh, so that they can feel safe and comfortable in our presence in church. Um, and I wonder how many of the church children you know. If I were to ask them to walk through this door now, um, how many of their names would you know? Would you know who they belong to? Which parent belongs to which child? Um, this um, yearbook that we have here has got, um, I think I counted about 55 children in there. It's got photos of them, it's got their names. Um, this is not meant, as I said before, to be a telephone directory. Um, use it for prayer. Pray for those children. Um, know who they are. Speak to them. As a pastor, you know, I probably get, um, well, our children get the worst still. They have to hang around till the end um, before they can go and will keep nagging me. And it's great when other adults speak to them and engage with them. Um, you might not get an awful lot out of them, um, but... Um, probably more than we do, so, you know, go for it. Um, what makes children and young people want to stay in the church, at the end of the day, is the quality of relationships. Um, it's the quality of experience. It's the teaching, it's the worship, 
Um, but it's who they know, who they feel comfortable with, who they trust, who do they look up to. Um, and interestingly enough, apparently it's uh, the um, churches that provide least for children. I don't know where these statistics come from, but apparently they have the highest rate of retention of uh, young people. I'm not saying that to say we get rid of the VS Club and everybody stays near throughout the service. Um, but it's interesting, it's not just about entertaining, um, it's about integration within the church family. Well, secondly, in terms of the role we can all play, we can create an accepting environment um, where it's possible to, to question um, and where it's possible to fail. As I mentioned at the, uh, the prayer meeting on Thursday, we had a group of children come to the church this week uh, from the primary school. And uh, they all came in. They had um, Some of them were for guys from the church, which was good to see. They'd all prepared a couple of questions they wanted to ask. And um, some of them were the same question, but they prepared it, so they were going to ask it anyway, even if... Uh, Six other people had already asked that question. They were still going to ask, how old is this church building? Um, hopefully they got the answer by the end of it. Um, there was a huge variety of questions. There was stuff about the building. There was also stuff about how do you pray to God? What do you do when you pray? Um, a young child asked, does God wear a crown? You know, how would you answer that? Does God wear a crown? I mean, we talk of him as a king. Um, somebody says, what does it mean to be a Baptist church? What, what does a Baptist mean? Um, and then there was a great question about um, why they're free churches, uh, which for a six-year-old I thought was quite a, uh, a grown-up question to ask about sort of non-conformity. Um, but what they meant was, why the three churches in Long Crendon? Um, so. But in this passage, we see, what do we see Jesus is doing when his parents find him? He's sitting, it says here, among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And it says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So it sounds like they were asking him questions as well. There's an engagement going on here, isn't there? Um, and we need to create an environment where that can happen with our children and our young people. Um, because however long we may have been a Christian, we will still have questions. They never um, all get answered. Um, our children, as, as they're starting out, will have lots of questions. Um, and sometimes it's worrying when they don't have questions. Um, teenage years don't have to be years of um, survival. Um, teenage years can be years of absorbing, of, of, uh, of asking and um, understanding. Um, and although, I mean, we say here that Jesus was the Son of God, he was different, but at the same time, he took on humanity, he came down to model a way of living in this world. And I think that's the true for a 12-year-old. Um, what should our 12-year-olds be doing? Asking questions, investigating, understanding. And it's for us to create that environment where they can do that. Not to assume that once they're baptised, that's it. Um, we can tick them off and we pray for them, they've come to faith. No, once they're baptised, they will still have loads of questions and they shouldn't feel guilty that they do. They shouldn't feel they've, they've made it now. Um, let's help them continue to grow and ask those questions. We're all works in progress. Interesting, Rob Parsons, in one of his books, he talks about how his children, he had two children, very different. Um, a daughter who seemed all totally sorted and in control, came to church regularly, no problems. Um, a son who was a complete nightmare, um, very rebellious. And um, they almost assumed that their daughter was okay and focused their attention on their son. Um, and yet when their daughter went off to university, then she rebelled and um, backslid and um, her problems came back to faith later. But um, let's um, continue to, to help our children Grow. And that also means when they drift away, when they, they fail, um, 
when they do something wrong. Let's not judge them, um, but let's show them even more grace. Let's show them even more love and welcome them back. The father in the uh, story of the prodigal son didn't say to his son, um, you know, when he came back, where have you been, you know? That's not what a Christian should be doing. They just welcomed him back. Um, but the older son, however, effectively did say that, didn't he? He said, you know, where's he, what's he been doing all this time? And what Jesus was doing there was giving a warning, don't become so legalistic and judgmental, um, and particularly towards the young people, that you forget the grace that God has showed you. Well, thirdly, as a church, we can provide parents with the support they need. Um, because for, for parents, for Christian parents who want to see their children grow up to be godly men and women, um, it probably is the biggest area of worry and stress in their lives. Um, it can be a major source of tension in marriage, where you have um, a husband and wife, maybe with different personalities, different family backgrounds, different ideas of parenting. It can come and cause tension between them. Um, where one is maybe at home and the other at work, again, that can cause tension. They need our support uh, and prayer. And it's a very different world these days from when many of you were growing up. And uh, I think part of supporting parents today is not to think, well, you know, I never had a problem when I was um, bringing my children up. Um, They all turned out okay. What are they worried about? Let's give our parents the support they need. And finally, um, we can actually learn much from our children. We can learn from them. It's not just a one-way thing. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this child, and he brought a child to the front and said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. The day centre the other day loved having the school children come in. Um, the contact group loved being invited to the Adventurers Talent Show and mixing with those young people. And the thing about mixing with young children is there's a, there's a, there's a lovely innocence about them, isn't there? There's, and it's not innocence in the sense of sinlessness. Of course, they did still do selfish things and do things wrong. But there's not that, that cynicism that uh, we've all sort of become tainted with by being in the world. There's not that uh, worldliness about children. There's an eagerness to, to learn. They have amazing questions. Um, there's a humility about them. Um, and above all, there's a childlike trust. Um, and that's something we can learn from them as we engage with them. And wouldn't it be great if we showed more of those traits as adults, whatever age we may be?